Second John. It's a short book. We'll do it in three sermons. We did First John, so it made sense to do Second John, Third John, and then we will do Jude as well. Uh, obviously, they're all very short, so they won't take super long, and then we'll start uh, the Gospel of Luke. But Second John, I will read the entire book, uh, but we're just going to look at verses 1 through 3 this morning. So Second John, we'll begin reading at verse 1 of chapter 1, which is the only chapter. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly what I, that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received commandment from the Father. Now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. Well, let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the church again as that pillar and ground of truth. We pray that we would love one another in the truth and according to the truth and help us to know that the truth is what uh, will be with us forever, the truth that is in Christ Jesus, saying that the spirit of truth will be with us forever as well. And we ask and pray that the spirit of truth would be with us now, that we would have a better understanding of what your word says, better understanding of the scriptures, a better understanding of who you are, better understanding of who we are, and a better understanding of what your church is and what she ought to do. And so we are thankful for what you reveal, even in the smallest of books. Thank you that this is still your word and it is God-breathed. So help us to be awake and attentive. Please enlighten our hearts and minds to what your word has to say. Help us to be awake and attentive to what your word has to say. And we pray that you would be pleased to comfort and strengthen your people. Help us to be watchful. Help us to be on guard. We also pray that you'd be pleased to save sinners as well, that you would save them by your truth. So sanctify us by your truth, we pray, and we pray in all things you would be glorified. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, you've probably heard the saying, doctrine divides and love unites. Usually this is used as an insult toward those who emphasize the importance of theological understanding and I do believe in many ways it is incorrect, but there are some ways in which it is correct. And one way in which it is correct is the reality that doctrine does divide. And certainly we see that in 2 John in verses 9 through 11, as we see, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him. So doctrine does divide. 
But as doctrine divides, it also does something that that saying does not hold to. Doctrine actually unites. Doctrine actually unites those who are in Christ Jesus. And as we are united in that truth, the outworking of being in the truth is that we then love one another. So doctrine does divide, but doctrine also unites. And as we are united in that truth, we know then how and who we ought to love. John helps correct our understanding of it here in 2 John. And so 2 John is probably written around the 80s of the first century. Uh, perhaps he's the last living apostle at this time, and he is writing, and it's a little bit different than 1 John. 1 John was structured more like a sermon, but 2 John here is more like a letter. And so we see the elder is writing to the elect lady, and the main purpose and idea is that this elect lady would live in the truth, that this elect lady would know the truth and live in a way that we see the outworking of that truth in love, and it's usually in light of, or in this case, it's in light of the reality of deceivers. There is this occasion where we see these antichrists. There is this occasion where we see these deceivers who have gone out into the world and are preaching a false Christ. They are preaching heresy. They are preaching falsehood. And so the church needs to be reminded that she is the pillar and ground of truth, that she is loved in the truth. This letter is filled with a lot of encouragement, uh, but there is some warning in it as well. It's very instructive for such a small letter. Some of the key themes that we see, and we've talked about them already, truth and love, and then knowing someone by their truth and love. And I think the problem is very clear if we highlight this idea of the truth, and that is a church without the truth. And let's be honest, a church without the truth really isn't the church at all, is it? Because what's the main idea? What is the church supposed to be, according to Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3? She is the pillar and the ground of the truth. She is the one who preserves the truth. She is the one who defends the truth. And it's the truth concerning Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done. And all that that means, all that the gospel benefits provide for us. Christ has lived, died, and rose again, and he's done something for a specific people whom he loves. So a church, a local church, must be a church that it is and for and about the truth. And so in 2 John 1 through 3, John greets the church, the elect lady, whom he loves in the truth. We see that truth is used four times in this greeting. It's like John is trying to tell us something, that the main idea of the opening and the greeting is the truth, and the main idea of the entire letter is the truth as well. And so we'll structure our points today under this idea of the truth. First of all, we'll see the lady of truth in verses 1 and 2. Then secondly, we'll see the comfort of truth in verse 3. So we'll look at the lady of truth in verses 1 and 2. Then we'll see the comfort of truth as John opens his letter with this greeting that is about the truth. And he's reminding this lady that he loves her in the truth. So let's first look at the lady of truth in verses 1 and 2. And we see, again, it's structured like a letter. And we see it's the letter of the elder to the elect lady. And so the author of 2 John is the one who is titled the elder. And I do believe it is the apostle John. I do believe it is one of the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this little letter provides some important lessons, even with this, uh, the way it starts, with this one who is the elder. 
Now, elder could refer, to here, refer here either to office or age. I think both are probably in view here. You see, John, perhaps in his age, was likely the last living apostle. Perhaps he's about to die soon. So he has something he needs to communicate to the church, probably likely the church at Ephesus, probably likely the church in which he is connected. There's probably a lot of little house churches within Ephesus. So he's going to write to a specific, I think, local church. So he has something to say as the one who is older than them. But we also must recognize that he does have a distinct office. He is the apostle. He is one of the apostles. And when we distinguish between the offices of the church, when we distinguish between what we call the universal church, all of God's elect in all of the ages, everyone who is part of the church of Christ, when Paul says he persecutes the church of Christ in Galatians, which church is he referring to? He persecutes local churches, but they represent the whole. They represent the universal church. So we have the universal church, but we also have local churches, locales where we see the expression of the universal church in local places. And so Surrey Reformed Baptist Church is a local church. Other churches in the area are local churches. And so John is writing to a local church, but as one who possesses the office of, a univer of the universal church, namely the apostle, that has jurisdi jurisdiction over all other churches, and not to mention the higher offices encompass the lower. That is, he's not just an apostle, he's also an elder. And we see this with 1 Peter. In 1 Peter 5, Peter says to the shepherds, shepherd the flock of God, and he says, I am a fellow elder. So the higher offices encompass the lower. The offices of the universal church encompass the offices of the local church. And the offices of the local church are a pastor and deacon, or elder and deacon. So he has concern for this other church. He has concern for this local church as the one who has authority over her, but also perhaps the one who has age over her as well. So John the Elder is also used in 3 John as well, but we see the recipient is different than 3 John, and the recipient here in 2 John is to the elect lady and her children. Notice she isn't just any lady. She is a special lady. She is the chosen lady. She is the one who's been set apart. She is the one who's been handpicked by God. She is the one who's been chosen by God from the generality of all mankind. She has been picked. Now, the church of Christ is, called, is made up of the elect, those who are chosen out of the world. We see this in Titus 1. We see who can bring a charge against God's elect in Romans chapter 8. So she is a special lady. Now, there are differences of opinion as it pertains to who this lady is or what it refers to. The old boys think it refers to an actual lady. A literal lady, a lady with high in stature. They think it's someone who perhaps was prominent in the church at Ephesus. So the elect lady and her children could refer to an actual lady. The new boys, and that's where I go. Normally I go with the old boys, but today I'm going with the new boys. And that has to do with the fact that I think it's a metaphor for the church. 
I think it's a metaphor for a local church. This lady and her children are referring to the members who make up this local church. Now, that's not going to be a hill that I'm going to die on. I think the application that we see throughout this book applies, whether it's an actual lady or whether it's the Church of Christ. But I think there are many reasons why it should be the Church of Christ. There are plural yous in verses 6, 8, 10, 12. Now, that, again, that could refer to her and her children. But in any case, I do think it does. There's plurals there rather than singular. In chapter 1, verse 13, or I guess I can just say 13, 2 John 13, we see there's another local church, or it seems to be the children of your elect sister greet you. So there's differing local churches and locales, and so John is writing perhaps from this other one, and this one is greeting the other local church. So we see this connection between these local churches. And even the language of elder as well. He is the elder for this church, and even though he's going to write to a specific person in 3 John, nonetheless has ramifications for the church where Gaius uh, is at. So I do think it refers to the church, a local church, and her members. Now, scripturally, many times, Israel is called the bride. Israel is called the wife. And even when we saw in Hosea chapter 2, we see that the father is telling the children to plead with the mother. And then we pointed out there that the mother is Israel as a nation, and the children who are pleading are the, are, the, are the people who make up, are the remnant who make up part of that nation. So it's not uh, uh, unheard of to say that like lady, local church, and her children refer to the members who make up that local church. And as you know, Christ's church is called the bride. It is a she, she for whom Christ has died. And so I do think it is a local church to the elder, uh, the elder to the elect lady and her children to the church, a local church and its members. And so that's the recipient. It's John to the church. And notice what he says. Notice he highlights his love for her, the love and the truth in verses one and two or the rest of verse one and two. So he writes to her and he says, whom I love in truth. He is the one who loves her, and it was his love for her is according to the standard of the truth. A lot of people like to say, I want to love, we need to love, we need to do this. By what standard do we love one another? By what standard do we love our fellow man? We have to ask ourselves that very question. And John is telling us here that it is in accordance with the truth, in accordance with what the word of God has said. What is love? What does that mean? And verses 4 through 6 flesh that out for us in the life of the church, in the life of God's people. 1 John 4 flesh that out for us in the fact that we see the one who is the eternal son, the one who is love itself, is the one who came and lived and died and rose again. So notice love and truth are emphasized together and they're going to be fleshed out in the rest of the body. Love and truth go hand in hand. You cannot love unless you know the truth. You cannot love unless you know what it means to love. And you cannot love unless you've been changed by the truth as well. And so John is highlighting his affection for her. And he's saying to her, whom I love in the truth, and as he emphasizes himself, not only I. He's emphasizing that for a specific reason. He loves her and not the traveling preachers. 
He loves her and not the deceivers. He is the one who cares for her. He is the one who loves her and not these charlatans who are walking around and are just traveling in our itinerant preachers. He knows her. There's an association perhaps with these churches. He knows her needs and he loves and he cares for her. One illustration that I thought of, I'm trying to be better at illustrations, brethren. I'm not the best at them, but I'm trying. So please just bear with me uh, as I grow in this area. But one thing I thought of has to do with the idea of the internet and the blessedness of listening to wonderful preachers. Brethren, I'm not against listening to wonderful preachers. We really should listen to wonderful preachers. But I'm going to tell you something you may not know. They don't love you like I do. They don't know you like I do. And I don't probably love you like I should, but they don't know your problems. They don't, they're not sitting in your room. They don't know all the issues. If you're having a problem, you don't call up Paul Washer. Hey, I'm struggling with this. That's not what happens. You call me because I love you. And I'm sure Paul Washer loves you too and other people love you, but I love you. I know you. I know the situations that you're dealing with and you're going through. And when I prepare, when I study, I'm thinking about all the problems and needs that are going on here. Preaching is very hard because as you're sitting in the rooms with other people, you hear this concern and that concern. You try to bring it all together when you preach, right? You try to bring different levels together, preaching. People who might not know as much, people who know more, and you try to bring everybody along. And I do that because I love you. Um, again, that's one area where I can demonstrate my love for you is that when I slave over the word of God, it is for you. Is God called me to do that, but it is for you that you might grow in the truth and know that I love you and know that God loves you as well. So I love you. Traveling preachers don't love you. Uh, charlatans on the street don't love you. I love you. And so John is trying to highlight. I don't think Paul Washer, by the way, is a deceiver in any way, but uh, the, you know my point. They don't, he doesn't know you like I know you. And these deceivers, these antichrists who just want to preach, that's all they want. They don't want to sit in and around with the people of God and understand their issues. They just want the glam and then they want to go away. But that's not what John is saying. John knows you. I know you. I have love for you. And John is saying, avoid them, not just because they are wrong, but avoid them because they do not love you. Again, the only way we can love is by the truth and by the spirit of truth working in us. And so John loves them. But also notice other churches love them. Other Christians love them. Not only I, again, he emphasizes the I there for a reason, but also all those who have known the truth. There are other churches that are present at Ephesus. Again, they didn't have cars. Where they were born, that is where you went. That's just the reality. It's a blessing to have cars, isn't it, to some degree? I mean, not to some degree, to every degree possible, that we can drive, that we have air conditioning, that we have heated seats, that if a good church is far away, we can at least travel to that place. But if you, you know, in this time, and even during the time of the Reformation, I think of Calvin's Geneva, I remember hearing that there are different good churches in Geneva, and if one church, uh, one member sort of went out of its jurisdiction to another, they would tell that member to go back to that church, because there were all good churches there. And so there are good churches here, and they love and care for one another. There's this association in Ephesus, even though they're close together, it's still far because they don't get to drive uh, anywhere that they wish. So it's lo local churches in the same city, 
and they were caring for one another. So not only these, not only I, John is saying, not only just me, but others, others who are part of the other local churches. Verse 13, the children of your elect sister greet you. And it shows how churches and local churches can associate and interact. Like-minded churches can associate and interact. And again, what makes churches churches is that they are the pillar and ground of truth. Now, I understand, brethren, not everybody agrees with everything that we teach here. And I do believe there are very good churches, true churches out there, we, uh, where the word is preached, where the sacraments are administered, where there is church discipline. Those are the marks of a church, preaching the word of God, the sacraments administered, and where there is church discipline as the pillar and the ground of the truth. And what unites all these churches together is the truth. Doctrine divides, but doctrine also unites. It is something that needs to be known. It is something that needs to be accepted as opposed to what is false. Because God is the truth. God is real. God is he who is. And the truth is concerning him and the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And we will see what the truth is further as this letter is fleshed out. And we will see why we need it in verses 10 through 11. And as I've said already, that is where doctrine divides. If someone comes and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, do not receive him. But if you're in Christ Jesus, that is exactly what unites us. If you know the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that is what brings us together because of Christ and what he has done. Because, and notice he goes on to give the reason. So, John loves them in the truth. Other churches love them in the truth. And notice verse 2, the reason, because of the truth, which abides in us and will be with us forever. The reason we love is because of the truth that is in us already. Now, that could refer to the doctrine itself and the outworking of it in our hearts brought to us by the spirit of truth. Or it could refer to Christ who abides in us by the spirit. Either way. It highlights the fact that you cannot know the truth without knowing Christ Jesus. We saw in 1 John 5, 20. And we know that the Son of God has come, has given us an understanding, that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. Or in 1 John 5, 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. It is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. The Spirit is the truth. We have the truth as we read it here for us, and we have the Spirit who tells us and works in our hearts that we might receive that which is true. And this truth that we have concerning Christ, and especially in this context, it is Christological, isn't it? It is the fact that the deceivers were denying that Jesus came in the flesh. They were denying the incarnation. They were denying the fact that the one who is the eternal God, the eternal son, took on a human nature. And he is like us in every way, yet without sin. He has a body like us. He has a soul like us. But he did not sin. That is the blessed mystery of the incarnation. That the one who is the eternal, the one who is the eternal son, takes on a human nature, and John is going to unpack this more throughout this letter, but we have to know that very thing. It is the gospel of Christ. Do you know that truth? 
that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus came in the flesh. That is the truth that is in us, and notice, it will be with us forever. The truth is what shall be forever. Everything that is false shall pass away. And what's interesting, another place where the same language of forever, the same pattern that we see in the Greek, is used in John 14, 16. So in John 14, 6, you can turn with me to John 14. In John 14, 6, we have that famous passage you all know off by heart. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Then beginning at verse 15, he talks about the helper, the paraclete, the other one who will come. Jesus is called the advocate or paraclete in 1 John 2, but there's another one. And this one is the spirit. And so he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And we'll see that next week. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he, the spirit, may abide with you forever. Notice the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. It will be with us forever. The truth will be with us forever. The spirit of truth is with us now and will be with us forever. That is John's emphasis that we see, even in this greeting, because of the truth which abides in us, and will be with us forever. And so, what is the very clear application? Truth unites. Truth does divide, but truth unites. And brethren, have you ever felt this when you've gone around the world, and there's this instant connection with Christians? Even more so, the instant connection with Reformed Baptists, because there sure aren't that many around the world. We want it to be more. We want more to churches to be planted. But like-minded brethren, there's this instant connection with them. Why? Because of the truth. And there is this love for one another instantly because we are united in the truth. And perhaps if you're talking to someone and then it comes out that you're both Christians, there's this instant connection with one another because it is the truth of Christ that does unite. And one writer says, we love each other and he highlights the reasons why we love each other. And I think he says it well, not because we are temperamentally compatible or because we are naturally drawn to one another, but because of the truth which we share. We might all have differing backgrounds and might be from different places and we might all have differing demeanors, but what is it that draws us all together? It is the truth of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're a Reformed Baptist, it's our shared love for the truth as it's fully revealed uh, in the scriptures, that maximal Christianity. But the main thing, the cardinal thing, is that gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we know that truth, as we know what Jesus says, as we know his love for us, it helps us then know who and how we ought to love one another, namely fellow members of local churches and fellow members of universal church of the universal church I'm not saying we don't love men in general we do that as well but we primarily love one another and we do so according and with and by the truth of Christ the truth is what unites and this elect lady is loved in the truth so that's a lady of truth, the lady of truth. Let's then look secondly at the comfort of truth in verse 3. Again, this is a greeting 
there's a lot of comforting things that he says in this greeting. If you notice in verse 3, we see that it's a greeting, but it's the comfort with that greeting. And notice the gifts, the blessings that he speaks of. Grace, mercy, and peace. Not just a greeting, but it's a blessing given by God. They are blessings given by God. Notice a grace is a gift given. It's undeserved. Mercy is our misery removed. It's a kindness of God to forgive. And then peace is that peace and tranquility with God. And I think Matthew Henry sums it well when he says, what the apostle craves from these divine persons, grace, which is divine favor and goodwill, the spring of all good things. It is grace indeed that any spiritual blessing should be conferred on sinful mortals. We receive grace and we still need to be reminded of that grace that we have and that grace ultimately comes in Christ Jesus. It's a gift that is given and it's a gift that is undeserved. Mercy. He says mercy is free pardon and forgiveness. Those who are already rich in grace have need of continual forgiveness. So he's highlighting not just the fact that when we call upon God, we look to him, believe on Christ Jesus, we are forgiven. But in our Christian life, we still need to be reminded that God is merciful, that God forgives, that God is very gracious. God is kind. God dispels and removes our misery. That's usually what mercy refers to. Grace is a gift given. Mercy, there is an obstacle. There is a misery that we have and God removes that. And what's that misery? Sin. What did Adam bring into the world? Sin and misery. And what does God do in Christ? He removes that sin and misery. Isn't he good to us, brethren? Grace and mercy. And then lastly, we see peace. Henry says it's tranquility of spirit and serenity of conscience in an assured reconciliation with God together with all safe and sanctified outward prosperity. Peace has to do with God. Our peace, the enmity has been taken away by the blood of Christ, Colossians chapter one. And we now have peace with God. Before we had enmity at war with God, but now we have peace with God. We have peace with God because Jesus Christ has lived, died, and rose again. And John wants the hearers, the elect lady, to know that. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you. They are with the church. They are with the people of God. They are with the church of Christ in the truth. It is the truth that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ. It is true that God is merciful and gracious, Exodus 34. And it is true that we have peace with God by his blood. Why would he say such a thing? Why would he say that we uh, say such a thing? A, because it's true, and B, because we're forgetful. Because we're forgetful of that, brethren. When we sin, when we do something we ought not to, and we unfortunately judge ourselves by other people, and we go, I'm not like that person, I'm not like this person, and we start to wonder, am I actually saved? Am I actually a Christian? Am I actually a, a godly? Look to Christ Jesus. The assurances we need to hear is that grace and uh, mercy and peace will be with you. And they are with you, and they are with the church. It's a typical greeting but he's providing assurance. It's a, the blessing from God. It's the comfort that God gives. And notice we see the source in verse three. All these things will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. 
this triune source of blessedness, this triune source of grace comes from God. And it's not because we are wonderful. It's not because we are great. It's because God is. Brethren, we were born in our trespasses and sins. Our righteousness was like filthy rags, and we needed a righteousness, not our own. And that comes according to God's grace in Jesus Christ. And so the source of all blessing comes from our triune God. Now, nobody denies, or at least most people don't deny, that the Father, the first person of the Holy Trinity, is God. And therefore, grace, mercy, and peace is clearly from him. Nobody denies that very thing. But people struggle with the fact that the Lord Jesus is the Son of God. Now, think about it. Here's this man walking around the earth. He looks like you and I, and yet he claims to be God. Not only does he claim to be God, but he demonstrates the fact that he is God because we have to recognize it's the one person, the one person, brethren, right? They're not two persons involved here. They're not two subjects. It's not the eternal son and then a guy named Jesus Christ. No, the one who is the eternal son, I guess Jesus Christ is the eternal son. Jesus Christ is he who rules the world. Jesus Christ is he who is infinite, but Jesus Christ is also finite because he took on a human nature. He is like us in every way, yet without sin. He is circumscribed, but yet immeasurable because of who he is, the son who is in his two natures, fully God and fully man. And John highlights that very clearly here, doesn't he? He adds another preposition there, from, parallel froms, from the father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, and he adds the Son of the Father. And again, he re the reason he includes this here is because of those heretics, because of those false teachers who say Jesus did not come in the flesh, or that Jesus is not God, or Jesus does not have the Father, or he's not the Son of the Father, which we see in 1 John. 1 John emphasized the eternal relation of the Father and the Son, but Second John does as well in a shorter sort of way. And it highlights the importance of this Christological truth that the Jesus Christ is the eternal son. And if you deny that, you cannot be a Christian. If you deny that Jesus is the son of God, then you deny the one who saves and you deny that which is true. Because this truth about who he is protects, it keeps Grace, truth, and peace is where we are protected in that truth, or the truth protects these things. But thankfully, the truth also promotes and enlivens in the life of the believer grace, truth, and peace. Because it's what, or, it's what uh, grace, mercy, and peace, the truth of these things uh, is found in Christ Jesus. And the church is the one that promotes these things because in the truth, there is life. In the truth, there is joy. In the truth, there is peace. In the truth, there is life everlasting. It's not just a knowledge that goes into our head, although that's where it starts, doesn't it? We think things and then something happens, but all truth works in us. It is working. It's effectual. It's bringing change within the people of God. And it comes from God the Father, and it comes from the eternal Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the Son of the Father. So grace, mercy, and peace will be with us, be with you, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and notice how it's outworked. Notice the external source where these things are communicated. 
in truth and love. So the gifts, the blessings, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, we see it outworked in truth and love. How is grace, mercy, and peace communicated? Well, it is in the truth. And it's in the truth that is proclaimed in the church of Jesus Christ. It's where God's grace, mercy, and peace are spoken about. Because we believe that the truth transforms. Matthew Poole. The indwelling of evangelical truth, which is here meant, signifies a powerful, transforming efficacy. Brethren, I don't believe I change when the word go, change you as the word goes forth, but I believe the word of God changes as the spirit works in the hearts and lives of God's people. I really do believe that God is working according to his word to save sinners, but also to make you and I more Christ-like as we hear the word of God. He goes on to say, in the soul, this transforming efficacy in the soul, so as to be productive of holiness as John 17, 17. Do you know what Jesus says in John 17, 17? Sanctify them by your truth, because thy word is truth. Brethren, you want to be more Christ-like? Yes, I'm not against you trying to be less angry or more industrious or more kind. I'm not against any of those things. You know where it starts? The truth. Sanctified by the truth. Sanctified by the scripture. Sanctified by the word of God. This grace and mercy and peace are communicated. The truth is communicated and God works mightily in his people. Uh, and he goes on to say, Poole goes on to say, that in which nothing can be a greater inducement among Christians of mutual love. The truth is what drives us to love one another. So grace, mercy, and peace are communicated in the church. But then how is love demonstrated? How is grace, mercy, and peace, how do we see that outworking after we hear the truth? Well, it's in love, isn't it? We hear the truth. We hear the truth of the gospel. We hear the truth about what love is. And then what do we do? We then go and love one another. We need to hear the truth that God loves his people, that God is love. We need to hear the truth that Jesus dying on the cross is where we see that sacrifice. We see what love is. I mean, that was John's point in 1 John 4. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Here's the truth of what Jesus has done Here's the truth of what the gospel brings, a renewed image, a renewed uh, salvation, a new heart. Therefore, how is it fleshed out? Our love for God and our love for brethren. If God loves us and has so loved us, we ought to love him. How do we do that? Well, we have no other gods before us. Well, we don't make for ourselves false idols. Well, we have a right demeanor when we approach God most high. And then, well, we come and gather on the day that he set apart to honor and praise his name. And in all that we do, whether we eat or drink, it is all to the glory of God, recognizing who he is. That is how we love God. And then we ought to love one another. Well, how do we love one another? Well, we honor our father and mother. If you have a boss, you must honor him. If you are a boss, you must treat your employees well. And various other relationships, that is how we love one another. We don't get angry with one another. That's tough sometimes. We are chaste with one another. 
We are industrious and work hard according to the Eighth Commandment. You can tell I'm going through the commandments, right? Ninth Commandment, we don't lie, but we promote the truth. And then Tenth, we don't covet. We don't covet our neighbor's wife. We don't covet our neighbor's house. We don't covet our neighbor's this. We don't covet our neighbor's that. We don't covet our neighbor's spirituality either, do we? You want to grow in spiritual things, that's a good thing. If there's one you want to grow in, that's great. I'm not, it's not wrong to have mentors and that sort of thing, but we ought, to reckon, we ought not to covet those very things. We ought to grow in those things, but not be covetous in an idolatrous way. And he's going to say this in verses 4 through 6. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. It's fleshed out in our love for one another. Smalley says, Christians love one another not merely because revealed truth includes the divine command to do so, although we are commanded to do so, but also because of the truth that remains in the church and in the believer. If you're a believer, you have the spirit of truth, and the truth indwells you, and so provides an inward compulsion toward the activity of loving. But then we are called to do it, and we are given the strength to do it by the Spirit, but also by the Word of God, as he tells us and reminds us of who we are in the truth, as he reminds us of who we are in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to draw out some more application next time in verses 4 through 6, because that is primarily application. But the application we need to take away from verse 3 is the assurance God gives and the truth of the assurance God gives gives. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you. Grace and mercy and peace will be with us. We need to know God is gracious. We need to know God is merciful. And we need to know that God has brought peace. Why? Because there are threats to that in the world. There are men who parade themselves as if they know things Men who walk around as if they are set apart by God most high and they try to assert themselves in places that they ought not to. They're not set apart by any church, not chosen by any church. If anybody is out preaching on the street and they're not set apart by a church and you ask them, what church are you a part of? And they say, oh, I'm just doing this on my own. You should run for the hills. Don't, Don't spend any time with them. Just keep on walking because God sets apart his men. We see that Timothy is set apart by the laying on of hands. I'm not against sharing the gospel with friends. I'm not against those, sort of, those things. But there are many false teachers out there who will not submit to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these ones, as we saw in 1 John, they went out of us, but they were not, they went out from us, but they were not of us. They arose within the church. The Antichrist arose within the church. They went out from us, but they were not of us. So there are those who come along. They might look good. They might smell good. I don't know why I have this proclivity talking about smelling, but in any case, they they look the part. They look great. But then they start talking, and they say things like, Jesus did not come in the flesh. Then do not receive him, as John says in verses 10 and 11. So we have to be aware of those threats, right? And then another reason we need to know that God God is gracious, merciful, and has brought peace is because sometimes we're not always assured of that, are we? 
And here comes this guy. He looks good. He smells good. He says things that might sound nice initially, but then he says something that's wrong. You might begin to question, well, I'm not as godly as that guy. I smell bad. There you go. I'm probably not a Christian like this one. And so you start to wonder, am I a Christian? Am I not? Am I saved? Am I this? Am I that? I have all these wicked thoughts, and I do all these wicked deeds, and nobody sees those things, but I do them all. So what am I to do? Well, you need to know that grace, mercy, and peace is with you. Brethren, our assurance is not based upon our feelings of assurance, is it? Isn't that a wonderful thing? I'm not against being against emotions and feelings because we're human beings, but sometimes they can play tricks upon us. And sometimes we measure our assurance based upon how we're feeling that day. Brethren, measure your assurance upon Christ. Measure your assurance upon his sufficient and completed work. Measure your assurance. You might not feel like things are going well, but you can ask yourself. You know, the Bible says that the fruit, those who are the children of God will bear fruit of the Spirit. I can say not perfectly that I do bear some, of, some fruit. And I might not always do it perfectly, but I do sense and think I'm growing in that. Then be assured that you're a child of God. And brethren, the Spirit does bear witness in our hearts. He does bear witness in our hearts that we are the children of God. And how we are the children of God, what makes us the children of God, is because of Christ Jesus. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. That is where our assurance lies. And the outworking of that is truth and love in the church. How is the grace, mercy, and peace of God communicated? It's in the truth. And hopefully the church reminds you of that truth. I'm struggling with this, Pastor Mike. I'm struggling with assurance, Pastor Mike. Well, look to Christ Jesus. Sometimes we're not always going to go looking for the thing we ought to. And that's the beautiful thing about preaching verse by verse and book by book. I can't avoid the things uh, that I want to avoid. But also God is pleased to speak to us in things we might not always hear, like the book of Second John. I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon on the book of Second John. And here we are today going through Second John, and he gives assurance, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you. And then how is the grace, mercy, and peace of God demonstrated in our love for one another? If we are so loved, therefore we ought to love one another. We ought to recognize that this elect lady is the one who is loved in Christ Jesus. Now, everything we see here talks about the wonderful benefits, doesn't it? All the good things that God has done or talks about some of the wonderful things God has done. A lot of times when we hit the unbeliever, we talk about their sin, which we should. They're sinful and need Christ Jesus. If you're an unbeliever here today, you are sinful and you need Christ Jesus because only Christ Jesus can bear your punishment in, your, in the stead of a sinner. Otherwise, you'll have to bear it yourself forever. Look at all the wonderful things that God brings in the Christian religion. Grace, mercy, and peace. And all this is because of the truth. If you believe the truth that Jesus lived, died, and rose again, you shall have grace and mercy and peace. Right now you have an enmity with God, but if you believe upon Christ, believe he's the son of God, you shall have peace with God. Don't reject the truth, receive the truth, know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And if you believe on him, you will know the love of God. And the Lord does love his people. 
And thankfully we see in 2 John a lady who is so loved. Well, let us pray. Our gracious God, we are thankful for your blessed assurance that Jesus is ours. And we're thankful that that assurance comes not because we are good, not because of the emotions of our of our being, but because of Christ and what he has done, because of the testimony of the Spirit, and because of the evidences we can see in our life, albeit imperfectly. So thank you for this. And we're thankful that you assure us in the truth, the truth of who Christ is, the truth of what Christ has done, and the truth of the benefits that have been given to your people. And so help us to be on guard against heresy. Help us to be watchful Uh, against our own sins as well, and help us to know that we can always come to Christ Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, and find that assurance and forgiveness that we need because of who you are and what you've done. Think that, that grace, mercy, and peace come from you, come from God the Father, and come from the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Son of the Father. And we're thankful, excuse me, that you keep your church and you protect your church as the pillar and ground of truth. We ask and pray that we would know more of the truth, that we would grow in our understanding of the truth. And as we grow in our understanding of the truth, that that would be outworked in the life in which we live, namely in our love for one another. Thank you that doctrine does help us discern. We're also thankful that doctrine does unite. And we ask and pray that we would be a church that is united in the truth, united in Christ, united in the whole scriptures and what it says And we are thankful for these wonderful things. So please encourage your people. Please uplift your people. Please provide assurance for your people. If there are any here today who do not know you, please save them. Please show them the falsehood and show them the truth, which is Christ Jesus. So thank you that you are mighty to do these things. Thank you for your might and power. And we pray that you be with us now by your spirit in the name of Christ.